Awesome. Thank you so much, team. Thank you. Does anybody else thrown off that the drums are not in the center? Yeah. I love it. Wonderful. So last Sunday, somebody asked me, they're getting to know me and they just, we didn't really know each other all that well. And they were saying, oh, Kim, so tell me about yourself. Like, what are your hobbies? And I got a little bit embarrassed. And, um, and so I figured, well, I'm just going to be a straight shooter and, uh, and tell them my hobbies. And so I said, well, my hobbies are, uh, shopping and movies. (laughs) How, how shallow does that sound? (laughs) I was like, I love home sense. I'm there at least once a week. I love it. I usually don't buy anything, but I just love to look at bric-a-brac and I just love it. So I, and I, I love movies. I, I love movies. I love, I love storytelling and I love stories. Like who was here on Monday when Corey was telling that story about the queen? Come on. Oh, that was the worst. He had me hook, line and sinker. I was in and like, I was, Oh <laughs> that was bright. Okay, so I so I love stories. And um and I love storytelling. And does anybody here did does anybody or used to, he's now passed away, but uh Stuart McLean and the Vinyl Cafe? Yeah? Oh. So I used to it's, you know how like when you're learning, how to, when you're learning how to preach and I'm, I'm not super great at it, but like, you know, when you're learning, you like listen to preachers to get better. So I listened to Stuart McLean because he has an incredible way of telling stories and communicating and taking people on this incredible journey of just, oh, it's so wonderful. And, and so I wanted to be more like him as a, as a communicator. So I listened to Stuart McLean. Um, so. I love movies. I love stories. And so I thought I'd love to start us off with a bit of a story this evening. So it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, you know, it is true. It is not false. Ooh. (laughs) It's, the story is filled with a lot of intrigue, with passion, one might, if they were trying to put it in a particular genre, it would be a romance. Ooh, right? It's full of passion and drama and oh, it's just... So let's begin. The story begins with a man and a woman, of course, like any good romance would And actually, as our story begins, our story really begins at the wedding reception. Let's call them Sarah and David. And so Sarah and David, they're at their wedding reception. And like, if we can picture it a little bit, like the the shot sort of like begins peering through the bubbly of like the non-alcoholic champagne. And it, it peers up through the goblet. And then you can see the couple sitting at the, at the head table. And somebody has just clinked that particular goblet of bubbly champagne. And... 
Sarah and David get up and they kiss and everyone claps and it's wonderful. And um, as they're sitting down, because they're still in love, they sneak another little smooch. And then, um, and Sarah says to David, oh, kiss me again. And so he like sneaks in one more kiss. And everybody that's there is just like, oh, this is just so cute. It's just young love. Like, just so adorable. And so the this shot sort of like moves from the, the couple over to this side of the table where uh, her bridesmaids are sort of like huddling over and giggling. And they're just like saying, oh, the, I'm just so happy for them. It's just so cute. And and then and they all giggle and they just sort of swoon and oh I'm just so happy for them. And then they, they you sort of pan back to the couple. And um and as you pan back to the couple, the scene changes altogether. And we go back in time. We go back in time and we just begin to meet Sarah and David. This romance is just starting to bud. Oh, it's so beautiful. They are completely smitten for each other. You know what it's like. They're just like, you know, like their cheeks hurt from smiling so much. They're in such love. It's beautiful. And they just, they're just so happy. Now, things just, you know, they're, they're in absolute new relationship bliss However, they meet their first relationship hurdle because David has to work out of town. Oh, separated. It's so awful. And so he goes off and he like, you know, they give a little smooch before he leaves. And, um, and he leaves for work. And he's just doing a fantastic job at his work. And he is killing it. And as he is just doing a fabulous job at his work, Sarah continues to do her everyday life. She goes to work. And she, like, hangs out with her friends and with her family. And she's still living at home with her mom and her brothers. And, um, and so she spends time with her family. But one night, it's girls' night. And so they go out for coffee. And, and Sarah and the gals, the same gals that were at the end of the table, are gabbing about David. Because that's what girls do. And so they're talking all about this new fantastic relationship and how wonderful David is. And, and all of her friends are saying, yeah, he's so wonderful. He is so great. Actually, you like totally, you like are dating up. And, and, and they're like, yeah, like he's amazing. Like he's just the nicest guy ever and he's really good looking. And um, like he's a 10. And like it's amazing. He must super love you because you're like a six. And um, yeah. And like that's exactly how Sarah felt. And she's like, my friends are horrible. And, and so they like, you know, but then they realize what they said, like it came out and they're like, oh, shoot. Um, and so they're like, well, but like, you know, 
I have this really great like face cream that you could use. And, um, and if you use, I really, I really like this particular concealer. It would be great for you. And they begin to give her, um, beauty tips. And so she takes it like a champ and, um, and is dying on the inside. Um, and, and so she, she leaves her friends, uh, and that horrible girl's night out. And she goes back home and she closes the door and then she just like balls her face off. I know, poor Sarah. And so her brothers are home and they are, you know, like, what happened to my sister? Right? And so, so then she's like, and then they said I was a six. (laughs) And then, and so they're trying to console, trying to console her. And, and then they, in their trying to console, they sort of tried to offer her other beauty tips as well. Um, and how they like put hair being done and they like certain girls to look certain ways and they, she could try that. And in an attempt to console, they botched it. And so it was horrible. And internally, Sarah is like, I am the ugliest person ever. Why would David ever want me? And so she is both terrified of when David comes home because she doesn't want him to face her because maybe he has figured out that she, in fact, is a six and he is a ten. And yet, (laughs) and yet... She is so excited to see him because she just loves him. She has fallen in love, and she doesn't know what to do with these feelings. And so she's quite nervous and waiting. And so they've, like, they've been, you know, she's anticipating him to come to, come to pick her up, and they're, they're going to go out. And, uh, and so she opens up the door, and he's right there, and he, like, just grabs her and hugs her and gives her this big kiss and says, looks at her and sort of like takes her face in his hands and said, you are the most beautiful woman of all women. Right. He said, I, he he just looks deep into her eyes and says, your eyes are just, are just so beautiful. Your eyes are like soft, like, like doves. And she sort of was thinking, mm, all right, uh, but just went with it. So, so David had this whole thing planned out. They were going to go on a picnic. And he went and he found this beautiful spot at the back of an apple orchard. Oh, David. And so he picked out, he has the blanket. They've, they're, having a, they're having a picnic and they're just sitting and chatting, catching up on his time away what like what he's been up to his time away what she's been up to uh, not talking about the girls night out and um and so it's just like this most beautiful like and the weather couldn't have been more perfect and like he looks gorgeous she looks gorgeous and like it's just perfect and uh, and then he tells her that he has something for her and he brings out and he bought her a necklace while he was away David. So, so as he puts the necklace on, he like brushes her neck a little bit and, um, 
and things start to heat a little. And so, so then they, you know, they, they look into each other's eyes and then, and then they do the, like the eye lip look, like the eyes to the lips, to the eyes, to the lips, to the eyes, to the lips, right? Like the, the, you know, um, and, and so then they, they begin to like have some time in the orchard and, and so, and, and so they're, they have not seen each other for a while. And so they're starting to like get to know each other better. Um, and then as they're getting to know each other a little bit better and like, like this, like the image, like, you, you know, when you, you know, in the movie, when it gets like really close, the, the, like they, like they go right into the face and then, and then, and then they both looked at each other and they went, oh, we should go. And, and they both like looked at each other, like deer in a headlights, like, oh goodness, um, we should go. And so they hopped in David's car and went home. He dropped her off and it was sort of like this awkward, um, I'll see you tomorrow. And, um, and she left and then she immediately called up her friends and they got together and did a date debrief because sometimes that happens. Um, so they're doing the date debrief and as they're doing the date debrief, she was filling them in with a beautiful date. And then she said to her friends, she said, it was so close. We were so close. If we hadn't have stopped, it was so close. And then, and then she said to her friends, girls, pl- promise me, promise me, please, don't, don't go there until it's time. Okay? Like, don't go there. Um, be careful in those moments. And so they're like, yeah, of course. Like, we don't want to be in this. Right? Like, and so they're like, oh, yeah. Okay, so then we, like, change scenes. All right? Change scenes. We are further on in the relationship of David and Sarah. Instead of, and, and David is now coming to see Sarah again, and instead of knocking on the front door, David is suave. And so he has, like, he goes around to the back. I don't know why he walks like that, but... Um, and knocks on her window and she opens up the window and just sort of looks at him like you're at my window this is so romantic and he has a bouquet of wild flowers that he picked for her so he gave her the wild flowers and then he says there's more where these came from come let's go and so he like and so they hop in the car and they go and um and they, they go to this garden. And so it's a wonderful walk, and it's in the spring, and things are starting to bloom, and they're hand in hand, and they're walking, and it's lovely. And so they're chatting away. It just, you know, Sarah's a little bit of a chatterbox. So she's chatting, chatting, chatting. And then she says, oh, David, I had this crazy dream the other day. I've got to tell you all about it. And so she's like, actually, it was really horrible. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad dream. And... Does anybody know the reference there? Okay, good, thanks. Um, so she, so then she starts to tell about this dream, and she says, David, you were lost. I couldn't find you anywhere. And so she would go into all of this detail. I went over here, and I went over there, and, and they're going into all this detail. And so they sort of finished off their time at the, like, in the garden. They hop back in the car, and Sarah's still 
sharing the lost story and how she can't find David. And she's getting quite, she's actually getting quite emotional. And so he's like trying to console her in the car and they get to her house. And so he takes her inside. And so they go and have a seat on the bed and they're sitting on the edge of the bed. And so she's like finishing her story. And so he does the lovely thing that boyfriends do. And he's comforting her and consoling her. Mm. You know. And so she looks up at him, and he looks down at her. And, and so, again, just consoling, caring, this consoling kiss and this consoling hug. And then it's a longer kiss and a closer hug. And it's a vertical kiss and a horizontal hug. And, like, and this is escalating really quickly. And, oh, my. And then they, like, again, stop and, like, uh get to go. And then he like boots it out of the door and that's it. <laughs> so the next day, Sarah's with her gal pals and telling them again about this date and like what was going on with David. And so she explains this whole awkward, like, uh, gotta go, um, this whole thing. And and she's just says with concern for where she's at and concern for where her friends are at. And she says, girls, we're so close again. We're just so close. Uh, I, I need to be careful. And you need to be careful. Don't awaken love until it's time, okay? And then the story shifts gears one more time and goes back to the wedding reception. Speeches have been all done, and it's now time for them to take their first steps together as husband and wife as they dance to at last, right? A little bit of Etta James. Oh, come on. And so... And I think that's probably what they're thinking at last. Um, and so they like step out onto the dance floor and they're dancing together. And David yet again has one more trick up his sleeve. David. And he, as they're dancing, he like leans down and whispers into, his, into her ear and says, I have one more speech for you, just for you, for no one else to hear. David. (laughs) And so he says, he says, you're just so beautiful, my beautiful queen. Oh, Oh, man. And he starts to like, like he starts to say all the things that he just loves about her. (sighs) He starts with her toes. And goes to her nose, talks about her eyes and her cheeks. And it gets like really gushy and like schmaltzy. So we'll bypass all of that stuff. And so he's like just yammering on with all of these sweet nothings. And then she looks at him. What? She looks at him and she says, let's get out of here. Yikes! But it's okay because they're married. So, but one more cut. One more cut to the scene. 
Oh, man. They finish their dance. It's almost time that they're about to run into the car. And they're with their bridal party. And, and so David is with his guys. And Sarah is with her girls. And they're just thanking them and loving them. And they're cheering them on. And the girls are squeaking because they're just so excited. And the guys aren't squeaking, but they're like, you know, whatever. <laughs> and... <laughs> I don't I don't know. They'd be like hooting maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. So so they're sort of saying thank you to their team and thank you to their to their party and um and and Sarah says to her to her gales. She says, "Thank you so much for making this day so amazing. This was just the most perfect time." But promise me, promise me, my friends, don't awaken love until it's time. And then the two drive off into the sunset. And just as the scene is about to end, let us hear Sarah's words as she narrates as they go off. And she says, love is so strong, strong as death. It burns like blazing fire like a mighty flame. Many waters can't quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly despised. Oh, end scene. Oh. Take that, Noah Alley. Am I right? Noah Sparks has got nothing on this story. That's That's a... You know, you know. All the romantics in the house are like, oh, no, Ellie, I love them. Nicholas Sparks, sorry. Oh, my bad. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Okay, so here this love story, this beautiful romance story is filled with repetition of love felt and love described and love controlled. At least for a time. And really, there's this power of love, this passion of love, and it's very hard to control that passion, is it not? It's so wonderful. It's so whimsical. It's magical, this love. And our story is a story that perhaps you might have recognized. Anybody recognize our story? It's a song of songs. Yeah. It's the, it's the man and the woman, the young woman and the young man who by poems and songs to each other and in songs to and from their friends, we hear this story, the story of love and passion and it's not necessarily a clear story song of songs. It's not. Nope. It's not. But it's a collection of songs. And we get to experience these, these moments, these high points of passion and love. And it is fierce. It's fierce, the love in Song of Songs. Like fire, it is a force to be reckoned with. It is both 
it's so powerful. And when it is uncontrolled, it can be dangerous. But when it is controlled, it can be so beautiful. And she leaves us at the end of Song of Songs with this picture of love being this force. It's incredible. And the Song of Songs is really this incredible expression of the innate human longing to know and to be known intimately. It highlights the transcendence of love and the nature of intimacy. And it just, and with the canonization of Song of Songs, it kind of highlights how sex, passion, intimacy is a gift from God. Okay, so this is what we're doing. We're going there. We're talking about this. We're talking about sex and intimacy and passion. Now, one might ask, why would we be talking about sex, passion, and intimacy if we're talking about walking in step with the spirit? That's a great question. However, what I would say to that is because we are talking about walking in step with the spirit, we must talk about sex, intimacy, and passion. We have to. We have to. So let's going to. Let's talk about this. Let's do this. I'm so, I'm so excited. Okay. Now, when we were talking, when, when Gavin and I were talking, planning, praying about this year back in the summer, we really did feel this impression to focus on the Holy Spirit. We felt this impression to really explore what it meant to be anointed, to be, to be um, consecrated. And we, and so what it meant to live for, live holy for a particular purpose. And so we did that. We talked about anointed. And now as we talk about being in step with the spirit, we're really talking about and really felt impressed in the summer to look at how do we actually, how do we live that out in everyday life? How do we live in the spirit in our relationships? Because now, Gavin did talk about last, last week that walking in the Spirit or being in step with the Spirit is all about community. And walking in step with the Spirit really does affect how we interact with our families, as we took a look at with um, Joseph. It, um, it affects our relationships with our friends. It affects our relationships with our mentors. It affects our relationship with strangers. And it affects our, like, capital R relationships. When we walk in the Spirit our relationships look like we're walking in the spirit. Being in step with the spirit really does determine how we walk in step with people. It really does. And so we glean from Paul's writing in Galatians about what it is to walk in step with the spirit and walk in step with people. And we take a look at this in Galatians, in Galatians 5, and he's pointing out some of the things where they're not really in step, where they're, they're experiencing conflict and where they're experiencing compromise. And what he does is he starts to adjust and take a look at, oh, your footwork isn't quite right. Let's just fix this footwork here. Let's fix the pacing. 
And so what we've done, as, as Gavin sort of explained last week, is we're taking a look at what it looks like to walk in step in community, in relationship, by taking a look at relationships in their Old Testament. And so we've had this story, this interesting, beautiful relationship from Song of Songs. And so we're going to make some connections for the rest of the night. So let's go to Galatians 5. And we're going to take a look at our text again. And it starts in verse 16. So Galatians 5, verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. For the sinful nature uh, desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The act of the sinful nature are Sorry, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you speak through this living word. I pray that you would speak to us tonight. Not my words, your words. God, would we hear what you want to say? Would we respond to what you're saying? Amen. So this, I think if I were to title this sermon, I would call it, The Struggle is Real. So in the New Living Translation, I'd like to reread verses 16 and 17. It says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. The struggle is real. Yeah? Oh, maybe that's not a one that you want to say out loud when we're talking about sex. (laughs) Amen? No. (laughs) So... (laughs) 
So Paul gives this list of vices and virtues, and, he, and this is a pretty common way of um, teaching morals. And he does this list of virtues and vices to identify the particulars of what the battle is at play. And Paul saw the, in the church of Galatia, and he knew, it, he knew the struggle pretty well. He knew what it was like to experience the struggle. And we know this because in Romans chapter 7, he explains the, the struggle. And we have all experienced this struggle. For I want to do what I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that the law is good. As it is, I no longer myself who do it, but it is a sin living in me, for I know that the good in self does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do what is good, and I, I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sinful living sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there within me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law in my mind. Right? Like, how confusing is that? But we all know that moment. We've all sat in that moment where we're like, I just did what I didn't want to do, and I said that I didn't want to do it, and I did it anyway. We've all been there. We've all been there, you know, right? Like we've all been there, whether it is in particular to intimacy, sex, that stuff, or whether that is at anything else in our lives, we have been there before I did what I didn't want to do. He fully gets the battle that is between the, the forces of virtue and these vices that we all, that we struggle with. And these vices really are just self-indulgences. And there are these two battles, these forces. It's this force of the flesh, sin, the force of the flesh, and the force of the spirit. Um, A New Testament scholar, E.P. Sanders, says that the war has to do with which power one's body and soul belongs to. So my question then to that is, well, what power does my body and soul belong to? What power does your body and soul belong to? Well, if we're anointed, and we are, then our body and soul is to the power of the Spirit. If we are people led by the Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit, then we should, then we should be with the force of the Spirit, right? And then it is not that, not that we're just seeking the fruit of the spirit, but that it would be produced in us in all aspects of our lives, that the fruit of the spirit would come out in our lives in relationship in public, but that the fruit of the spirit would also take place in our lives in private, like in an apple orchard per se, right? That the fruit of the spirit would be present in public and in private. Now, Paul leads us into this section of living in the spirit um, at the be- well at the beginning of that ch- that chapter he talks about and he reminds us 
that there is freedom found in Christ. It is for freedom that we have been set free. And that's important as we talk about these vices, as we talk about sin. It's important to remember the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. Because we have been made right in his sight. We have been made sons and daughters of the Most High King. We have been made royalty, as we were reminded yet again on Monday, that we have been clothed with the most beautiful clothing, and that we have been given total freedom. But Paul challenges us. What are we going to do with this freedom? Are we going to use this freedom to indulge our flesh? That even though I'm not, I, even though I'm free, that I don't, I don't have to worry about these particular laws or these particular ways of doing things. Even though I'm free, do we indulge? Do we lean into our freedom in a way that's maybe awakening something that should not be awoken yet? See, in our, in the freedom that we have been given through Jesus Christ, we can do something now that we have never, ever been able to do before. We can live unselfishly. See, the flesh is living in self-indulgence and selfishness. To live by the Spirit, to live holy, is to live unselfishly. So in freedom... We can love because we have been given the greatest love of all. In freedom, we can, exclude, we can exude joy, right? We can be agents of peace because we are no longer at odds with God. We can be kind because we have been given kindness every single day. We can be good because he is good. We can be faithful because we have an incredible faithful God who never, ever leaves us. We can be gentle because he is so gentle with our brittle, the brittleness of who we are as human beings. And we can be self-controlled because God is in control. And so when we give ourselves over to the control of the Holy Spirit, not our own trying to make things work, not this flesh, The spirit, the fruit of the spirit blossoms in our life. Blossoms. Now, if if this is what it means to live in step in the spirit, it's important that we note that the battle is not, well, it's the, the walking in step with the spirit is not the absence of the battle. It's not. The battle is real. The battle will always be. It will always be, Paul says. That is not, like having a battle doesn't mean that there is, that you're out of step with the spirit. Rather, it is the way that we live in the battle. That's where the in-stepness comes in play. How we live in that battle. Do we In the battle, do we head towards self-indulgence? Do we head towards selfishness? Or do we head towards holiness, to unselfishness? Okay, so some of you might have heard this story before. This is a true story. This is a me story. 
I was 16 years old, and we had just gone to youth, and I'm in youth, and we've just worshipped, and, like, Thomas is sitting right over there, and Thomas, I have had the biggest crush on Thomas forever. He is, like, the most godly person ever, and I just think that he is just the most amazing person. He's just an incredible person, loves Jesus with all of his heart, and he worships God with, like, everything in him, and so, obviously, I have a crush on him because he's a godly person. So anyways, he's like worshiping and I'm like trying to, um, you all know, you all know what that is like. So anyways, worship is done. Thomas is sitting over there, like near the front and I'm kind of behind on this side and I can even like, I picture the room, I can see it all. And, um, our, our youth pastor was gone. And so we had this youth leader and he was speaking and he gets up and he says, all right, everybody, I want you to repeat after me. He's, and so we're like, okay. Cause we're like youth and we love that. And so he's like, I am a sexual being. <sighs> and, no joke. This happened when I was a very, I'm awkward now. I was very awkward when I was 16. Um, And so, (laughs) so he says, okay, everybody, let's do it. And so here we are, this very awkward group of teenagers who like are crushing on each other and stink and just like don't know what to do with our bodies. And we're like, we are sexual beings. (laughs) And I wanted to, like, die laughing and just die. (laughs) This is the most embarrassing. It was so embarrassing. Oh, I still can't believe that he had us do that. (laughs) But it stuck. It stuck. And it was so good. Because what he did, as he had us yell... I am a sexual being, is he brought normality. And he he just, like, without saying it, he's saying, and that's a part of your life too. See, sometimes what we do when it comes to sexuality and who we are as a sexual being and being Christians, what we often do is we, like, compartmentalize, okay, this is me as a sexual being. I'm going to put this way back here. And try not to ever think about it until I can, like, get married, and then I can think about it. Because, like, because often what we do is when the way, when we think about, when we think about sexuality like that, and run with me with this for a second. You know when the woman in Song of Songs says, do not awaken love until it's time? I think what we do is we, like... As Christians, when we don't know how to deal with our sexuality, it's like we put our sexuality into the desert, into this like cave with all kinds of treasures, and somebody knocks and it goes, Who disturbs my slumber? Right? What movie is it from? Thank you. Right? Like, somehow, it's like, don't go there! Right? Like, we can't talk about being sexual beings. Because somehow, that cannot be associated with who we are as anointed people. 
we have a really hard time justifying or, or rectifying how that works. Because I can talk about being, an, being um, anointed by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. But I also am anointed in the way that I live out my life with people and how I respond with people and whether I, I activate and whether I attend to the flesh or whether I utilize self-control. Because then it's not about who disturbs my slumber. It's not about that. It's about protection. I'm going to keep that there for now. And maybe it's not way back there. Maybe it's just right here. And I just need to be sure that I protect a very precious piece that God has placed in me. Oftentimes we feel like we have to be, we have, we have two options. I can either become a nun or a monk. Or, and that will fix it. Or, I have to get married right away, and that'll fix it. Right? Because, well, we got, these, we got these feelings going on inside. And how do we deal with these feelings? Well, I either become a nun, or I get married. Well, if a nun and a marriage isn't an option, well, then what do you do? Right? Do you throw it in some sort of, like bunker in the desert with other treasures? No. Because that's not how God created us. He created us as whole beings, body, soul, mind, and spirit. And so as I attend to my, as I attend to all the other pieces of my life, as I attend to my spirituality, I am also attending to my sexuality. Right? I'm off notes. Oh, this was pretty cool, right? Like, because what we do when we think about love, um, when we talk about love in church and when we talk about love um, in, the, in the fruit of the spirit, we, like, it's not, what the fruit of the spirit, love, that isn't like love. Um, it's not talking about that particular, particular kind of love, uh, but that's really important to be thinking about and, and what we do with that love. But in our song, I don't even know what song it was that we were singing. It was a new one. No, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> in our love, be lifted high. Well, that's a different twist, isn't it? That in my intimacy, in the passion that is within me, as a sexual being, that my love, in my love, be lifted high. Ugh. I feel both real good about that, and I feel real checked about that. And as we're talking about this, please hear my heart, okay? Please, please hear my heart. This is not meant to be a thing about, like, condemnation of, like, don't have sex, right? Like, don't have sex until you're married. <laughs> but it is not a point of condemnation. It is something that we saw in the Song of Songs. This is something that is beautiful. God-given. 
that often the devil tries to twist. And he tries to make it all shameful. And it's not shameful. That is why it's so beautiful that Song of Songs is in Scripture. It is. Have you read that book? I've read it a few times this last couple of weeks. Boy, that's a lot. Um, Okay, I'm just going to regroup for a sec. Our story of the two lovers, it's a pretty great picture of the complexities of the struggle. Right? We have this beautiful, these beautiful poems and these beautiful songs of really, like, intense descriptions of love. And yet this halt, this intense halt of, I love you, I love you, you are beautiful, and you look like a gazelle, and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, don't awaken to love. Like, don't awaken it until it's time. And then another one, we hear this love and beautiful and pomegranates and ivory and uh, don't awaken until it's time. And we have these incredible like highs and lows, like major intensity of great passion. And then uh, hold up. As people who are desiring to live for Jesus, to be in step with the spirit, it is very good for us to pause. Very good for us to pause. To ask the question, is this self-indulgence or is it the fruit of the Spirit? Because if it's the fruit of the Spirit, it's not going to be about me and my needs. It's not going to be about me and my passions necessarily and me meeting my passions, my urges or whatever you want to call it, right? Like it's not going to be about me fixing or attending to all the, the things within me. Oftentimes, when it comes to love, Like, it kind of, there's a switch in our brain that somehow gets flipped, and it's like, I do not care, right? Like, I just picture the movie Elf, right? When he comes into the boardroom, and he's like, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it, right? Like, there's this absolute throw caution to the wind, I'm going full tilt, right? Like, full send, I'm in love, Oh, thanks, guys, for laughing at that. (laughs) But the amazing thing about this Song of Songs is that this woman, the, the woman in this letter, she recognizes the passion. She recognizes it. And she does not express shame about the passion that she has. But she does bring this passion, and she brings the concern to her friends. And she doesn't make it secret. She makes it accountable. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. And the whole tone of do not, let what, um, do not awaken love until it's time also harkens back to other parts of wisdom literature in Ecclesiastes 3.5 that says when it talks about a time for, a time for, and also says there's a time to embrace and there's a time to reframe. 
refrain. That is both literally and figuratively, I think. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Thanks. So we live in a pretty self-indulgent world, right? Like pretty self-indulgent. Anything that we want, we can do it, right? Like if we want to have sex, go ahead. If we want to watch something, go ahead. We can really do whatever we want. But it's not really just about sex, is it? It's about anything. Like, we live in a full send. We live in like a YOLO world where it's just, let's go for it, full tilt. Let's experience everything that we possibly can. But if we are to be people who walk in step with the Spirit then we need to be people who love others not for what we get out of it, but what we can give them. That we can show goodness to want nothing back. And that we would be self-controlled. Maybe we could even use the word intentional. If that maybe has a bit of a better ring to you. That we would be intentional with our actions. That we would be intentional with our sexuality. Have you ever thought about being intentional with your sexuality before? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about a plan about your sexuality being intentional? We're pretty intentional about our assignments. Perhaps we can be intentional about our sexuality. Right? Right? Okay. So, the area of intimacy is really, really easy to get out of step with the Spirit, right? Because the struggle's real. It's real. It's easy to get out of step. And for some of you, you might even be sitting here and saying, "Uh, Kim, uh, I know that very well. I feel like I have actually gotten out of step in this area of my life. This is what I would say to you. Isn't Jesus so wonderful that he's so gracious that he redeems, that he forgives, and that he works with us, that he empowers us and brings us back in step with him. How beautiful. Because intimacy is easy to jump out of step, but God makes it pretty easy to get back into step. It's whether we want to or not. And so... Let's just get real. Let's get really particular about this. Particular in the area of intimacy in our sexuality. If we were to be intentional, if we were to be self-controlled in the area of love, passion, intimacy, sex, all of that stuff. If we were to be particular, I think it would be really wise for us to heed the words of the woman in Song of Songs. And the way that she did it. And she got accountability. So that would be the first thing that I would suggest. If we're trying to actually be intentional, what am I going to do if I'm a sexual being? How can I be intentional with me being a sexual being? Well, if it's a struggle, and let's be honest, struggle's real sometimes, so let's get accountable, right? The best thing that we can do is actually talk to somebody, Get a friend. If you're a boy, keep it with a boy. If you're a girl, keep it with a girl. Thanks. Get accountable. 
Have somebody who will ask you how it's going. How's the struggle today? And then when they'll, and get somebody who will actually look at you and say, don't awaken love until it's time. Don't do it. Protect. So first, find a friend who you can be accountable to, who will remind you and challenge you. Secondly, accountability starts with you. There's personal accountability. You're the sexual being, so you're accountable for it. I'm a sexual being, so I am accountable. That means that I have to be working with the Holy Spirit to be intentional and self-controlled with my sexuality. So that means self-leading, okay? We talk about this in, we talk about this in a really like broad sense. Let's be real about it. Lead yourself when it comes to sexuality. So come up with a plan, you and Jesus. Oh, right? Like Jesus actually does these things too, right? Like he comes up with plans for you and, and helps us. Come up with a plan with Jesus. What's the accountability plan? What's the intentional plan? So make it personal and get somebody in there. So the first one, get accountable. Secondly, get acclimated. This is what acclimation means. Acclimation is meaning becoming accustomed to a new climate and a new condition. So it's the struggle between flesh and spirit. The new condition is spirit. We have to get accustomed and acclimated to spirit life. The way that we get acclimated to spirit life is to be with the spirit. There is no other way that we can get acclimated into living in step with the spirit than to be with the spirit. So that gets really, really basic. Read your Bible and pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. That's, that's it. It's super simple. Super simple. But if you aren't praying and reading your Bible, if you're not in your Bible because you learn about it every single day, get in your Bible. Get in your Bible. That is the best way. That is the way that we get in step with the Spirit. So get in your Bible. If you need to, get an accountability partner. Talk it over with Jesus, come up with a plan, and talk it over with somebody. But read your Bible. And secondly, pray. And then I say pray, I also mean tarry. Tarry is a really old word that I grew up with, to tarry. And it means to wait. On Monday, I'm finishing with this, so band, if you want to come up, that'd be awesome. On Monday, Corey quite passionately challenged us to get into the presence of God. The only way that we can live in step with the Holy Spirit, the only way that we can be controlled with our sexuality, the only way that we can be intentional with who we are as holistic human beings is to be in the presence of the Spirit. And that doesn't mean to just take time and take 15 minutes and pray and then go. It means to tarry, and it means to wait. It means getting in the presence of God. Right? Like, this is, 
this is my, this is my heart, right? Like this is just to be like straight up with you. Okay. The reason why this is so real for me and why I want to talk about sex with you is I know the struggle. I am not a nun, nor am I married. I know the struggle. And you might think that nobody knows what it's like. Well, even people who are nuns and even people who are married know the struggle. And I know it very real as a single person. And this part of my life, as well as every other part of my life, needs to come under the control and the dominion of the Spirit. If I want God to do anything in my life, I have to align every single part of my life with the Spirit. That means me as a sexual being too. That's the same for you. And please don't hear condemnation because the most incredible thing is that we have freedom in Jesus. That he walks with us so gracefully. As we walk in step with the Spirit, he walks so gracefully, so forgivingly. He walks with us. Now, this is what I would like to end, how I'd like to end here. I'm going to sort of put a period on this whole thing about sexuality. Because I'd like to really hone in on on the idea of tarrying and getting into the presence of God. Because I'd like to just open up the space. You may, this may not be your struggle. Right? This may not be your struggle. And this particular, this is not an altar call for people who are struggling with sexual sin. This is not that. Please hear me clearly. This is not a call for people who are struggling with sexual sin. If that's your thing you want to do with it, that's cool. But this is not what this is. So please don't feel like you're like, if you come up to the, the altar just to be in the presence of God, people are thinking that you struggle with sexual sin. That's not what this is. Are we all clear with that? Okay. What this is, is it's a matter of saying, I want to be in step with the Spirit, my whole being. My whole being. Holy Spirit, I need you in my whole being. And so I'm going to tarry. I'm going to wait. Because I need you. If I'm going to do anything for you, if I'm going, if you are going to live out the call of your life for Jesus, we must tarry. And I'm going to go back on this sexual thing for a sec. That is one of the things that can take us down real quick. Guard. Guard it. Guard it. Protect your heart. Protect it. Because the enemy will try to use the most intimate things in your life to shame you so that you will not walk in God's calling in your life. But there is freedom in Jesus. There is forgiveness in him. And we just need to tarry and be in his presence. Just be in his presence. So I'm going to invite you to stand. The band is going to lead a little bit in song. They'll sing. They'll maybe not. But I would invite you If you are feeling like you just want to be in the presence of Jesus, talk to him about whatever you want to talk to him about. Listen to him about whatever he has to say. Would you come? Would you join me? Because I want to be in step with Jesus. So let's be in step with Jesus together, yeah? We do it in community.